you have any information leading to the arrest and conviction of the murder of Barry J. Bean, you can find me at Mr. Bean's Podcast One on Twitter, all one word, or at Mr. Bean's Podcast, all one word, on Facebook. And you can listen to my podcast on all major streaming services. And today, we got a husband. We got a father. He's a firefighter. Richard Buzz Lawrence. Anyways, I, I got your information uh, from Bubba uh-huh. Boletto. We had a pretty good podcast, uh, basically getting into mental health and stuff. And we brought up about like firefighters and stuff. Uh-huh. You know, in you know, like PTSD and, and stuff like that. It's more looked at more of like the military people, right? Uh, but people don't take into consideration like the other services that deal with it. And firefighters are one of them. Uh, from my perspective, what I see is, is, is firefighters, they, sometimes they think they're just, you know, they join up and then they're just going to be putting out house fires. You know, the next thing or another, pulling babies out of the car. Right. You know what I mean? So, uh, when she gave me your info, I was like, man, I got to talk to this dude. And he, yeah. he also said you do some training or something like that. Yeah. Um, I taught out of the, the Votech in Choctaw for about 13 years. Um, and it was a, a new recruit or cadet program. It was ran Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Ran the semesters. Did a fall semester and spring semester. Um, and they would come out with all the certifications to include their EMT um, to be able to go to work for a department. Um, there's few and far between departments right. in the state of Oklahoma that that actually um, have the budget to run a true academy. And so it really worked out for a lot of departments that those guys come in with their with their certifications to begin with. I could have swore I seen I was looking through the the Oklahoma like where it talks about the Senate and the, the legislators, where they the, the, the bills and stuff they're passing. I right. could have sworn I seen somewhere where firefighters got a raise, but I went to go back and find it, and I can't find it. I don't know if I'd have seen it on the internet or somewhere, because I thought it was on that website. No, so the, the big one that just went through, um, in 2013, the state passed it. They extended our retirement from a 20-year retirement to a 22-year retirement, and that has a lot to do with our state. Our, our retirement is run... Um, and funded by the, the state, right? And so we were on an unfunded liability. And so to help advance that so that we don't become an unli- unfunded liability in 2013, they passed it to where you had to have 22 years to retire. Fast forward to the Oklahoma State Firefighters Convention that was just held in Enid, they reversed that and now everybody's on a 20 year retirement instead of having to try to manage two systems out there well, did this guy get hired before November of 2013, or did he get hired after November of 2013? And what makes what makes me any better to 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 leave the the firehouse two or two years earlier than than this guy? Um, so Governor Stitt signed the bill that said uh, everybody's under that 20 year retirement again. So basically, he just reversed what what they had decided. Uh, volunteer caucus, and then through some of the unions. Um, across the state of Oklahoma, they got in with the the House and Senate members and said, "Hey, a lot of the reason that that we're an unfunded liability is because of things that have happened in the past with the state legislature. We get a lot of different funds from different things. One of them is an ad valorem tax that's on your insurance. Right. Um, some of the things that created that um, unfunded liability is." Some of the tax credits that were given out 
that were never actually stopped or received, I guess, after the, the tax credits expired. So there was a lot of things that, that went into it that the state said. So basically what happened is that every fireman in the state of Oklahoma decided to retire right now. They couldn't fund it. Damn. Did, right? Which is not, which is what, well, right. It's, it's a far fetched idea, right? That all of us would walk out the door on the same day or even in the same year. But on the money side, the bean counters are like, Hey, we could we be can't, a problem. We can't, we can't have this. <clears throat> Ain't that what they do with the casinos too? Like they have, have to have enough money for like in the casino for everybody to hit a jackpot or some shit like that. It, it might be, or the funds available or something. I don't know. We got a lot of casinos in Oklahoma. We do. <laughs> Starting to add up. <laughs> so part of that was to, to kind of basically put into your retirement longer before you start drawing out of it. Yeah. And so they decided to reverse that. And now everybody, even the people that got hired after November of 2013 went back to their 20 year retirement. So there's not like there's a, an eight year window or nine year window in there that only these people that got hired in this nine year window are on the 22 year retirement. Right. right? So it, everybody was on 20 November of 13 and went to a 22 and then June of 2022 and went to the 20. Well, that retroed back to that November of 13. So those people that have nine years on just went, I don't have to work another two years. How long, how long you say you had in? Uh, I've been a fireman for 22 years. 22 years. Yeah. Mm. What'd you do before that? Uh, went to high school. High school. <laughs> he said something about air force. Yeah. Was you in air force? I was January of 2000. I enlisted in the air national guard out of Will Rogers. Oh, national guard. Okay, yeah. I, got you. I went around to a lot of the recruiters and worked that whole process. I was dug in deep, was doing the, the Marine Corps thing. And of course, in January of 2000, we were at a peacetime. And uh, my uncle, uh, who was an 06 in the Coast Guard, uh, also happened to be a two-time Bronze Star winner from Vietnam as a medic with the 101st, called me at my, because I still live at home at the time, called me. And I said, hey, Uncle Mike, how are you? Can I talk to mom? He's like, nope, talking to you. And I was like, oh, what's up? He's like, so, so you're gonna make some decisions, and I was like, oh crap, this you know, guys, you know, done the done the army thing, yeah. been to war, done, you know, seen the the non-commercial side of it. You know, everybody gets caught up in the propaganda, and the uniform, and that's some of the things that he he talked to me about. He's like, I'm just telling you, it's like, if you want to make that decision, you make that decision. He said, but what do you want to do? I said, I'm gonna be a fireman. He said, okay. He said, how are they writing your contract? He was like, oh, the, the top three jobs that you want or whatever. He was like, telling you right now, find somebody that write that contract that says, you want to go to fire protection school? And if they're not going to write it that way, like, don't sign it. And so I talked to the Marine Corps. I talked to the Navy. Um, I talked to active duty Air Force. And then I went out to the Air National Guard at Will Rogers, 137th Air. At the time, it was the 137th Airlift Wing because we had the C-130s. Um, now it's a special operations wing with some TACP guys and um, some surveillance. Man, airplane. them TACP guys are a little different, man. I, yeah. I hung out with them a lot when I was in Germany, dude. They, yeah. they were a different breed, and they was uh, they was they didn't really, they they, didn't, they wouldn't like the regular Air Force people. I mean, matter of fact, they wouldn't really like anybody. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If you talk to them, they're special force ranger. Tack peas or some shit, you know what I mean? Right. Their training's harder than everybody else. I think every branch does that to some extent, you know? They do. Well, all right, bro, cool, man. But, man, I'm with some wild dudes, man. Wild <laughs> dudes, bro. Wow. Yeah. 
so I went and talked to the recruiter at the 137th and uh, told her what I wanted to do. And she said, well, let's get in my car and go and talk to the fire chief. And so they actually have a full-time fire department there because when the military aircraft fly, it ups what they call the air index. Oh, yeah. When the air index is increased, then that department supplements the contractor at Will Rogers. So they have full-time firemen out there. And so the fire chief was there and we went over and had a nice conversation, discussion. And he said, we'd love to have you. We went back and started drawing up the contract. And uh, May of 2000, I left for... San Antonio, Texas. I think a lot of people when they're joining the military, I don't think they really pay too much attention to the contracts. It's just like they just trust that the recruiters are going to give you what you want. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They didn't have to worry about me. I was like, fuck it. I guess I got to go. So let's go. Right. Uh, but a lot of people don't do that, man. Anybody join the military like nowadays, I tell them, like, dude, I will go with you, dude. I don't I mean, it's not that big of a deal. All you got to do is read the damn contract to make right. sure what you want is in there. Because they ain't going to lie to you or forget to tell you something. <laughs> right. The tech sergeant that that did mine, she was very, she was very upfront and forward with with a lot of things. Right. But we kind of had that discussion of, hey, when I get this, I've got one uncle that retired as an 06 in the Coast Guard, and I got one uncle that retired as a, an 05 in the Army out of Fort Riley. I was like, I'm sending it to both of them, and we're going to look at this. So maybe having that little bit of information before. With her, she was like, okay, so it says here, your fire protection, six-year contract, this on your education benefit, this on your kicker. This is how the state of Oklahoma looks at it because the guard is actually a state entity also. Right. So the state of Oklahoma helps fund part of this. The federal government helps fund part of this. And this is how the contract works out. Uh, that's just really cool, man. You know, yeah. I, for a long time, I didn't know there was firefighters in the military. So the Air Force is the only one that really has a large group of them. You know, as well as anybody, the the Air Force is really the only one that we send our officers, we send our pilots, and a majority of uh, the Air Force's support personnel. Right. Right. So our primary our primary mission as an Air Force fireman is to protect that airplane. Right. Protect protect that airplane, and then in a deployed situation, it's protect your LSA, your life support area, your POL yards your fuel yard, stuff like that. The other branches are very sporadic in who they have as military, on the military side, especially state side. Overseas is a little bit different. Fire school in San Angelo, Texas, Lewis F. Garland Fire Academy at Goodfellow Air Force Base in, in, in uh, San Angelo. It's a joint forces base for a training base. So they have the fire protection school on one side and part of the Intel school system on the other side. And that's pretty much what that base is made out of. Probably a fun training environment, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get a bunch of 19 and 20-year-old wannabe firemen on the same base with a bunch of 19 and 20-year-old imagery and intel and linguist people. And it can get uh, – those two, two personalities can sometimes – So are you still seem- active reserve now? No. How long was you? Uh, six years from 2000, 2006. It's not a bad deal, man. If I, I know, I know people that, especially like in the, the post office in, industry mm-hmm. that would be reservist, you know, I don't know. I just think it's cool if you can do it. But I mean, I, I got out, I just wanted to be able to not cut my hair if I wanted to, and I don't have to worry about it. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, I made one, one deployment in 2002 to, uh, Camp Stronghold Freedom. 
which was in Karshik and Anabad, Uzbekistan. Yeah. So we were 90 miles north of the Afghan border and like 500 miles from China. How was that? Great, great resort place. I highly recommend taking your family. Just kidding. <laughs> um, it was good because we were already familiar with the, the C-130s because that's what we had here in Oklahoma City. Um, so we had the AC-130s, the MC-130s, and then we had a PJ detachment assigned to the base. And then I think at some point while we were there, they said there was somewhere between twenty and 25,000 troops. They would, they would come out of Turkey and Germany into Uzbekistan and stage. And then from there, they would go to Kandahar or Bagram. And then from there out to their, their fire bases or their yeah, chalk off fobs or all of that. My last deployment, I was in, uh, I was in Kandahar. And then I ended up in fucking fob shank. It was, uh, it sucked. Yeah. That place is horrible. But anyways, <laughs> as far as uh, being a fireman, what led you to that? Okay, so um, I tell the story to quite, quite a few people because I think it's a pretty interesting story, especially um, as a true Oklahoman. So I kind of grew up backwards. When I was little, I wanted to go to the University of Australia and study marine biology. So when everybody else is running around, being like, I want to be a cop, I want to be a fireman, I want to be a doctor. I was like, I'm going to go play in the ocean. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to dive. I wanted to study the ocean, like everything about it. The ocean just infatuated me when I was little. And then I was sitting on a lab table, April 19th, 1995, about mm, four miles from the Murrah building. Mm. And the Murrah building went off. And I'm sitting on a lab table in my eighth grade science class, windows open. And we were supposed to play a baseball game that afternoon. Kind of do the look out the window thing. Not really a cloud in the sky. Couldn't see the the smoke coming off the building from where how the building sat there in the junior high. And I kind of looked down, and baseball coach was walking along the, the sidewalk, and I said, Hey, coach, is this supposed to rain today? I thought it was thunder. He said, No, I don't think so. Who are you? Because all the <laughs> windows, you couldn't tell. He was like, Hey, it's Lawrence. And he's like, Oh, okay. And then shortly after that, uh, there at school, they came over the, the PA and pulled some kids out that they knew parent, they knew that their parents were, were working downtown. And then probably 15 minutes after that, as all the kids filtered down to the, the main office, they told us to turn on our TVs in the rooms. And from then on, I knew, that's, that's what I'm yeah. here. So, so from then on, everything that, like, it, it just engrossed me from that point on. Um, everything I did in, in my high school side, uh, growing up, uh, it was just, as you start to end your high school, your career, everybody's like, oh, what do you want to do? It's like, oh, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to do this. I want to do that. I want to go be a plumber. I want to do this. You know, it's like, what do you want to be? I'm going to be a fireman. Oh, okay. So part of my enlistment was what's my fastest route? Right. What's my fastest route to get there? Um, OSU OKC has an excellent program to do your associates through, um, but there weren't the Votex right. online in 99 and 2000, right? They just, those training systems weren't set up and developed yet. Um, I come from a long line of men that have, have served in the military. And so I started looking at that route. Uh, my dad was in the Navy from the end of, I think it was the end of 71 to 78, a nuclear power engineer. Uh, both my grandfathers served in the Navy. Um, one is a, a pilot on a cargo ship, and the other one is a 
door gunner and a seaplane. What was that? Well, actually, a, a resupply. Man. He would he would tell stories. He passed away two years ago, and he would tell that. some 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 stories about landing in in coves on these islands. And he said, as soon as they would land, they would throw that door open. He'd rack and stack his his weapon in the door. Because he, he, he said when they landed, they didn't know if they were going to be greeted by the Japanese or if they were going to be greeted by Americans for the resupply. Right. I was like, that's pretty intense. Because you're just a sitting duck floating. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's a weird deal. I mean, because you, you, you got a solid mission, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you don't resupply, everybody is screwed. You know what I mean? It's a solid mission. It, uh I, mean, I guess anytime you're in that situation, you don't know if it's going to be good or bad. It's going to yeah, it's going to mess with your mind a little bit. But when you know you're going somewhere, I don't know. I think it's just tough, man. Yeah. You know, one thing that you know I know a little bit about is you know training you know, in the military. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Recertification stuff like that. So, how does that work in your profession? We we follow the National Fire Protection Association. Um, guidelines, um, and then there's the IFSAC certifications, which is a, a nationally recognized certification system out there. Um, so the training side of it in Oklahoma is is done a lot through the Votech system and through uh, OSU FST, which is Oklahoma State University Fire Service right. Training. They're out of Stillwater. They're associated with OSU Stillwater, but not really associated with OSU Stillwater. Uh, they do a lot of training. Uh, they've got it set up into different regions within the state. And so there's a whole training network out there that the people that are interested in getting into the fire service have that opportunity to go do that. The, the training is very rigorous. Uh, the fire service is a paramilitary organization. Uh, we have a rank structure. So not only learning how to put out fires, but how do, you, how do, we, how do you fit into that, into that rank structure? Because there's always right. got to be somebody in charge just like running a, a four-person squad there's always that that squad leader that's that's in charge right we've always got somebody on that engine that that is in charge and they make decisions sometimes with our input sometimes it's just their decision and we follow orders right um so part of that training is is figuring out where you fit into that system right um as far the, as like the training needed or just part part of the training because, like I said, it is a, a, para, a paramilitary organization. So, understanding that you're, oh, you're well, not coming in the person in charge. I got yeah, I got right? That guy's got, in my world, seven to ten years right. of fighting fire. Now he's in he's in charge of that engine, or he's in charge. Yeah, of yeah, I got you. I got you. Um, so part of the training is is just figuring where you fit in that system. Um, the the training is is very labor intensive. Uh, the gear that we wear is gear and air pack uh, in combination is anywhere from 60 to 70 pounds. Conditioning your body to that is paramount. Right. right. If I can't function, then I can't, if I can't function in that gear, then I can't pull a hose right. I can't throw a ladder right. I can't cut a hole in the top of your roof correctly. I can't make entry to, to search and be able to move in that gear. So our physical conditioning is something that we're always striving for, right? We're always trying to keep. Now, I'm six foot three, two hundred seventy five pounds. I'm not a marathon runner. Big dude, though. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm just. I'm not a marathon runner. Somebody needs I, to move the car. They can get moved. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, guys at the station always give me a hard time because I've traveled around and, and taught forcible entry classes and rate classes and, and all of this stuff. 
And they're like, you don't, you don't force the door. You just take it off within the last year. There's been doors, doors are a hindrance for us. So when they just get cut off most of the time. Yeah. Or just pull them off. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just the way things work. Hose goes by, catches that door, door tries to close. Now I can't move the hose. Right. 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 Um, so the guys at the station like to give me a hard time about <laughs> like, ah, just, just tell Buzz, take the door off and yeah. throw it out in the front yard. <laughs> Cause everything is moving so fast that no, if yeah. I take the door off of the hinges, I'm not just going to lay it there. Right. I want it out of the way. I took it off because I don't want it here anymore. I want it over there. I want it out of the way. So I just chunk it out in the yard. And like, ah, oh, those, those are going to the front door. <laughs> the front door's nested in the, in the driveway. Y'all do any uh, like type of heat training or anything like that? Uh, so we do. We have burn buildings. Um, right. And there's a, two different mindsets out there, two different, di- different systems. One's a Class A combustible. Um, so it's basically hay and pallets. Right. Um, which is a really good... Um, real life, real life smoke, um, real life heat. Um, if I take my mask off in the middle of it, cause I freak out, I'm going to get a big old mouthful of dirty, nasty smoke that my body's going to say, Nope, I don't like this. So then everything else physiologically and mentally happens and I start bailing. Right. Right. Um, so having the, the heat training into it. So there's feeling the heat and understanding how your, your gear is going to protect you is part of the training, right? I got to know that this stuff is going to protect me. Right. So we kind of do an intro to heat where we put four or five guys into the, the actual burn room. It's usually about 150, 150 pound pallet set. So the whole thing weighs about 150 pounds and it's hanging pallets. And we just let it, we light, we light it off and we sit there and we start watch, watching the dynamics of how that fire is. Because when we make entry into a, a burning building, we don't see any of that. My primary goal, my primary goal is to make it through the door with that hand line, make it see the fire, put it out, and make it as fast as I can. Right. Right. Life safety, <clears throat> property conservation, incident stabilization. Those are all things that my my three primary things to do. Uh, so we don't get to see all the the cool stuff that the fires do. We don't get to really feel the heat because if I'm feeling heat, I'm not doing something right. Right. I need to be absorbing that heat. I need to be pushing it out, pushing it away, getting it away from your property, your um, your being, your your body. If you're unconscious in there, so if I put water on the fire, everything goes good. So in the training, we tried we, we we try to do an intro to heat where we light that thing off, and they get to see the stages of growth. Right, they get to see it from that incipient stage all the way through decay, and so we get to see the smoke development. We get to see the drawing from the bottom, and then as radiant heat comes over the top of the room comes back down on top of us and then as it sucked in again if it came out as 100 degrees arbitrary numbers if it came out at 100 degrees but went in at 60 now it's going in at 100 and coming out at 150 and then it's getting sucked down at the bottom at 150 and coming out at 300 and then it's circling that way so the heat training to me is 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 paramount and the development of the fireman because ultimately we want to save people right so if I'm getting super heated and hot and not, we don't take them to the point of, you know, the, the macho man, we wait for the last person to be standing in there or sitting in there and everybody else is bailed, bailed out. Right. Somebody's thought about it though. <laughs> They've done it. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. And those guys like as, as the fire starter in some of those events, you know, and having the experience with it, I've been hot enough, not only in the training environment, but in real life, where I was belly crawling 
and sticking to the carpet as we're trying to get out because it was so hot. So the carpet had started to melt and we're belly crawling, not even up on hands and knees or standing up trying to get out. That's too hot. If you're not protected in some form with your, your uh, turnouts or bunker gear and an SCBA, you're, you're now a recovery, not a rescue. Right? So understanding where that risk assessment comes in of how far do I push? How hot have I been? Because I can put you in bunker gear and air pack right now and put you at 150, 175 degrees. And it's the first time you've ever felt that. You're going to kind of start crawdadding a little bit and be like, oh, my shoulder's a little warm. It feels like somebody's sticking my ear with a needle, you know. <laughs> and then we come back and continue that training. And then 150, 175 degrees, you know, yeah, my ear's a little warm. I should wear my shoulder straps and collapse the, the thermal liner in my and my bunker gear, yeah, those are those are kind of a little bit uncomfortable. And then when you start getting three, four, five hundred degrees, caveman takes over and says, "I'm not staying here." Right. It says it's time to go. We need to do something different. So I mean, it sounds like to me it's similar just to military style training, right? Yeah. So I mean, basically in the military, you're training to do something a lot. You know what I mean? So uh, as far as the actual heat, though, right? So I know you was explained kind of getting used to it, getting close to it, get the feel or mm-hmm. anything like that. Is there anything y'all can do that y'all do to to get used to the heat? You know what I mean? Other than just straight training. Just straight training. That's it? Yeah. That's, in my opinion, that's the, the best out there. It's just exposure. Exposure, exposure, exposure. Um, and the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with it. Um, also understanding um, the respect aspect of the fire, where it's going to go, yeah, respect, what, yeah. what, what can I do to, what part of the training can I get to not, not necessarily make it better for the incident? Cause sometimes we search without a hammer, right? right? We showed up on the house right now. There's a good chance that two to four guys are going to enter in while they're pulling hand lines. There's a, a bike in the front street and in the, in the front yard, there's two little chairs, toys outside. It's summertime, it's a car in the garage. I don't know if you're home or not. We're coming. Right. We're, we're, we're searching. Is there anything like somebody could do? Cause I, I remember like, I remember when I was little, I had a couple friends, right? That they, they, they'd have stickers on the window. There's a kid here or something like that. But I mean, is there anything like somebody could do? I mean, I, I would want somebody to like, if, if I'm, my house is burning up, come get my kid. I'll figure my shit out. Come get my kid first. You know what I mean? Um, that the, the sticker on the window campaign, um, really lost steam. I guess you would say in that's the, some old school shit. Wasn't yeah, it? probably the the mid early to mid nineties. Um, I had one on my window growing up. There's really not that campaign that exists anymore. So one of the big things that we can do, and I know it's fighting kids. I've got a 14 year old and 11 year old, right? Especially when they're li- when they're little. Um, it's close your door at night. I can show you a hundred different pictures online of. The whole kitchen, living rooms all burned up, couches are all collapsed, cabinets are gone, and that door that leads to your kid's bedroom, open it up and you might have a little bit of smoke damage on the inside. So shutting your door at night is one of the biggest things that you can do. Kids always want the wind, you know, they always want it cracked open for that little bit of light, but a nightlight. It's that boogeyman. It's <laughs> that boogeyman. <laughs> right. Shut that door. That's the uh, first time I've ever heard that before. Yeah. The other, I, I would say, public service announcement on that is so we, we tried to do our smoke detectors twice a year, right? With the time changes, we got to attach it to something to get I'm people bad in their mind. That too, man. I'm right. Bad about it. Um, 
So we call them, uh, we call them an Edith drill, exit drills in the home, just an acronym. Um, and doing those exit drills with your kids, have them draw out the front of your house and put the mailbox, put the neighbor's house, wherever it is that you want is your meeting place. Be a flagpole with the, the neighbor across the street or the mailbox at the end of the street, just so that they know I can't make it back out in the hallway. My door's hot. I open it up. I can't see anything. They shut it. They go out the window, come around the back of the house, and they know that mom and dad are going to look for them at that mailbox. Right. Right. So taking that just a step further is just like we were doing with the fire training, right? You start out small, right? You break it down Barney style. You keep it simple. You do those exit drills with them when they know it. You take them in there. You lay them in the bed. And you hit the, the button on your smoke detector and you go, what are you going to do? Right? So they come up, you tell them door's hot. So they go over, they open up their window, they push the screen out, they take off, and they come around and they meet at the mailbox. Good job, little Johnny. Excellent. Great. Next time you do it, they're in there playing Xbox, taking a nap, doing whatever. Just reach over there and hit your smoke detector. Just They know what the sound is. Just do it unannounced. Then what are you going to do? And like, just see how they're going to react. Right. Right. And then after you do that, then move it to do it in the middle of the night. So just like in, on the military side, right? First thing you didn't do when you got either to your unit or basic training was put on NBGs and go shoot your M16. Well, you're not supposed to anyway. <laughs> you're not supposed to anyway. Right. You go to the range, you get comfortable with yeah. your weapon, you do some different positions, and then we start looking at, at shooting with NVGs on or optics or, or whatever. So you can take that same approach to doing uh, exit drills with, with your family and, and kids of, okay, we know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm right here with you to go through it, to see how you react and give you some, some, some correction or, or ideas and then just kind of spring it on and then move to do it in the middle of the night and see how they react. Uh, as far as, I guess fires in general, uh, you talked about earlier uh, respecting the fire, you know, mm -hmm. and kind of understanding what it's going to do. I imagine in Oklahoma with the wind being unpredictable as it is at times, it, how, how much does that play a factor? Oh, it's huge. Wind driven, wind, in our world, we call them wind-driven fires is a, is a real thing, right? Fire needs three things, oxygen, heat, and something to burn. So if we increase that oxygen intake, to it then everything burns hotter and faster right. and that's whether it's in your house something on the highway or farmer john's field or into a green belt or a wooded area if we start increasing that wind it's windy almost every day in the state of oklahoma right so us trying to figure out how in which way to attack that coming into it because we definitely don't want to be on the downwind side of we want to try to be on that upwind side. So instead of coming in your front door, having a, a, a north wind, we may come in or, uh, with the north wind. We're going to try to come in with the wind on the north because it can feel like a blowtorch blow torch on that south side. If, we, if something has failed, where it's a plate glass window, window of the kitchen, sliding doors, those are just huge avenues for a large amount of heat to come out towards you. Do you ever consult with like the local, the local town about you know fire hazards? As far as like, if there needs to be like a control burn, for example, 
Like this is a fire hazard. We need to do something about it. Yeah, you you can contact your local department. Um, depending on, oh, I was saying this the fire department. Do they talk to? The, is that is that something they do? Uh, some departments will do like the control burns. They can also do. Um, some of them will be like fireproofing your home. Basically, they the, the firemen come out and look around your house and right. say these are things around your house in the event of a wildfire sweeps through here, um, especially living in rural Oklahoma, understanding that having your wood pile for your, your uh, fireplace right up next to your house, you, you have a kindling box sitting right next to it. Yeah. It's going to run up that brick, hit the eave, and then run right through your attic. Right. So yes, have your stockpile of wood, right? We also live in the state of Oklahoma where above head power lines are horrible. So, I'm gonna have a stockpile of wood for my fireplace, keep my family warm in the winter. But let's just let's just move that out right. away. Um, I was bringing yeah. it up because uh, you know, but we had a lot of fire outbreaks, right? Mm. But I read about it a lot, and like I couldn't really find a right answer on what the best way to handle that situation is. Is it preventative measures? You know, because at, at that point in time, once it was noticed. I mean, it was it's windy as shit. So if you do try to do a control burn, you got enough people to do that. Are you causing more harm than good? Is there's that chance, you know? Yeah. So I really couldn't find a good answer for that. Is what I was asking. Yeah. Um, there's really not. The biggest thing for us is notification. Is if in the event you do see that event happen or see it, is get on the horn, call nine one one as as early as possible. Hope not the best. Yeah, not get out there with the. I mean, you can try to shovel, and you're probably not going to do anything to put yourself in harm's way. I'm not saying I do this, but there is there may be a possibility that I may do a little control burning myself in my backyard. Um, first year was an accident. Second year was not. <laughs> because how good it looked afterwards? Well, yeah, no shit. Dude. If you look at my window, there's a little fireplace there. Yeah. And uh, I was texting one of my boys. I was like, man, just standing here chilling, burning. And I, I went inside to do something. I come out, and it was just burning. It was gone. I was like, oh, shit. And, but, I mean, it wasn't – at that point in time, it already slowed down a little bit. So, I just, you know, sprayed it down and quit it, you know. And then I was like, well, next year we'll see what happens. And then sure shot did next year. This makes the grass look so much better. I know that's kind of a selfish thing to think away, but I was convinced I could control it. But I'm sure I'm not the only person who's ever thought that and messed it up. You know what I mean? Right. Um, doing your own personal yard, don't do it when it's eight inches tall. That's where people start getting in trouble. Oh yeah, my shit is doing was, it short. Yeah, yeah, I mean, keeping good. keeping your yard short and, and burning it off is is not that big a deal. So this whole field back here, uh, somebody bought it. Uh, I say field, but there's a lot back there. Somebody bought it, and then uh, grass grew up on it. I guess the neighbors had some firecrackers. They decided to blow up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Caught all that on fire. We're at a wrestling tournament, right? My my cousin Chris, he's here, and he was like a Hey, man, I don't know what's going on, but there's a fire back there. So I get on the cameras. I can't see anything. I can see smoke, though, right? And I was like, just get the guns, get them out the house, let that fucker burn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. There ain't nobody yeah. to do about it. Because we was at a wrestling tournament in the yeah. city. I wouldn't want to run back. It wasn't going to happen. But uh, I was just trying to think where the valuable shit was. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and that that is one of the, the pre-planned things is – knowing where those valuable items are. Right. Because right? if if I show up on the big red fire truck 
and you tell me that you have a, a safe with all of your policies in it in this back room, property conservation is one of our charges. Oh, wow. Right? I did not realize that. Yeah. So if you tell me I've got a, I've got a, a firebox or something like that in the bedroom, then after we clear the house and do all of that, we'll do everything we can to make it back there to get your, your valuable stuff. Oh, wow. Right? So having that foresight, that pre-plan of getting a firebox, whether it's, I don't know if I'm going to be able to move your gun safe, but your gun safe is a pre-plan. You're a big dude, bro. I, got, I, got <laughs> I have seen people or, and or heard about people that will put uh, basically a cheese sheet in their freezer. Oh, okay. Yeah. That thing's designed to keep cold in, which means it's also designed to keep heat out. Right. So they'll put a little cheat sheet with all of their policy numbers and a bunch of contact information, roll it up, fold it up, roll it up, put it in a little medicine container and put it in their freezer. In your experience, how how uh, how effective are the fireproof safes? So I've heard some conflicting stuff. Quality. I mean, if you, if you buy the $10 one, you're getting a $10 investment. Um, I've only ran across a couple of them. Uh, they've had some some water damage in them, but as far as the documents inside, they could still they could still read them. The intensity of the event also has a play on it. You know what I mean? Like if you come back and you see the slab of your house, yeah. I mean, the, it's not if good. it's a, if it's a room of contents, then it's probably got a pretty good chance. But if it's a, a full on fire blowing out of every every window and through the roof. I don't know if they make anything out there that is 100%. One thing I was gonna to touch on earlier uh, was when we was talking about training, uh, as far as firefighters, I feel like y'all constantly gotta be ready, right? Uh, it's from my point of view. If, if you had a bad hangover, it's gonna, it's gonna be a bad day. It's gonna be a mean? really bad day. So you kinda of have to make sure you got a plan, you know what I mean? Right. And, and, and uh. You, you look like you're in pretty good shape. Uh, I think physical fitness is probably pretty important for your job, right? I mean... 100%. Um, not only for the, the citizens that we serve, um, but right now the leading cause of death in the fire service is heart attack. Oh. So our our diet, um, our, our exercise, however that is... Um, whether it's we've got guys that do triathlons and marathons and and you know some extreme sports stuff, rock climbing, you name it, that there's there's a fireman out there that does it. Um, so it's it's not only for us to better serve the, the citizens that we're that we're serving in that community, but it's also for our longevity. Because studies have shown shown um, over the last probably 20, 25 years is we're more susceptible to a cardiac event. And some of that is due to our uh, adrenaline dumps. So if I put you in a, in a REM sleep and then at two o'clock in the morning, I kick every light in your bedroom on and yell at you that your neighbor's house is on fire and you're expected to go to work and perform and go from a heart rate of 45 to a heart rate of 120, within a minute that's a wear and tear on your body yeah. so the physical fitness part of it bring comes into that that if i'm carrying around an extra hundred pounds 
pounds and I haven't done anything, that's, that's a huge impact on my heart and my cardiovascular system. Whereas if I'm exercising and doing stuff and my body is, is used to getting up to that 100, 120 beats a minute, whatever it is for your age group and, and all of that stuff, then it's not such a shock on your system. So understanding the, what happens physiologically, because sometimes it's that two o'clock in the morning call and I've gone from 45 beats a minute to 120 beats a minute and we get on scene and it's a guy barbecuing at two o'clock in the morning. People in Oklahoma City do some crazy things at two o'clock in the morning. Got back from some, the club. Yeah. Some guy <laughs> working, working the night shift and he's like, yeah. I just want something to eat. Sure. Well, the neighbor sees smoke coming out to the yeah. backyard. So we've. We've done this full circle. We went to 120 beats a minute, and now it's nothing. Sometimes we show up and it's the rip roaring high five and house fire where we get to go to work. We get to we get to do this. Right. We're doing it, you know. Um, and the event goes on, and usually an hour, hour and a half later, we're rolling hose, headed back to bed. But it's the up and downs um, that a good. PT regiment schedule, whatever that is for that you enjoy, because that's part of it. I, I hate to run, so I don't. I do an hour on the elliptical and, and some circuit stuff with weights because I don't like to run. I just I ran cross country in high school, had to run through the military stuff, had to run through recruit school. And as soon as I got done with it and my final PT test at the end of my recruit year, I was like, I'm not running unless I want to. And guess what? <laughs> I don't want to. Man, I had a, a colonel when I was in Germany. I was in Baumhorn, Germany. <coughs> colonel Larson, man, he's a really cool dude. He, uh, I come in one day and uh, I said, "Hey, sir, you're gonna be at the fun run in the morning." He said, "Private Bean, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had fun while you was running?" It's like, "No, no, sir." He said, "Well, is it really a fun run then?" I said, "No, sir." <laughs> that was it. That was a conversation. <laughs> it's absolutely right. That. <laughs> absolutely right. Concur. Is there anything y'all do for like the mental part of that, the, the pre-mental? Um, so the big thing on that is just education. And when we talked earlier about um, what the military has moved to, especially since since 9-11 and on, um, you know that side of it, right? You know the, the, the reconstitution when you come back. You know the, uh, the mental health avenues or facilities or counselors or... Uh, numbers that you can call if you do have one of those mental one of those mental health episodes if you want to call it that. Right. Um, the the fire actually has uh, a lot of that same stuff. So just like our um, our emergency medical stuff, just about everything we do in emergency medicine came out of the military, and it's been like that since the Civil War. Things that they try. Well, this worked. This didn't. Well, we're not going to do that anymore. Right, so the, the fire service has done a lot of modeling after what the military has done. Um, so as soon as we get guys in as, as recruits, we inundate them like the first day. You're gonna go and you're gonna see things that you don't ever, that you wanna forget, but you're never gonna be able to forget. It's kinda like a right seat ride? Uh, yeah, just just the, the foresight of, if you're, if you're feeling this way, it's not, it's not uncommon. We've all right. felt that way. And these are the avenues and, and programs and, and people to talk to. Um, the people that you initially talk to may not be the person to fix, right? It's not the, that cookie cutter. 
yeah. you have this problem, this is your fix. Right. It may be you talk to three or four people within the system till you find that one that you, that you click with, um, whether it's a, a counselor or a peer or somebody from our critical incident stress management team. Um, so my department is, is very proactive in all of that. We actually just this year added a, a licensed counselor uh, to the fire department itself. Uh, we had always had an avenue through our employee assistance program. I think it was either four or six counseling sessions a year that we could go to. And that was also extended to my family. So if my wife was having issues with something or one of my kids was needing to go see a counselor, then that was a, a full encompassing family um, availability. And so this year we've actually added uh, an LPC, I think she is, um, to the fire department to help facilitate some of that. And then we also have our critical incident stress management team with peer advisors. So a lot of times what will happen on that, it's a, what do I say, it's a kid drowning, right? We've got kids, that's, yeah. that's a huge event, right? Anything involving kids is a huge event. It can just be a car accident, kids crying in the back, and that can trigger somebody. Yeah. Kid drowning, huge event for the entire crew. Everybody from the recruit to the chief that was on scene to the MC unit was there also, right? So we'll take care of the incident. We're expected to, to perform to the highest level that we can at that incident. And then when we come back to the station, they'll actually put us out of service. And we have peer advisors throughout the city and they'll take that person off of their rig, put their rig out of service and that person will come over and talk with the crew. And basically that's just an education. They're not doing a diffusing. Um, they're not doing a, a long-term type thing, but he has the, the ability to recognize, Hey, that guy that's got 24 months in the job, we need to, we need to follow up with him. Right. right. He's, he's sitting back. He's not, he's not really engaging. He, he doesn't know how to express how he feels now where the 15 year guy may pick the chair up and throw it across the room. That's just, that's his, that's yeah. his release. I think but that two year guy may not may not get, know that it's okay to have a release. It's okay to be mad at it. Yeah. It's, it's it's okay to have those emotions. So sometimes like I think like uh if they make a mistake, they're too embarrassed about it, so they don't want to talk about it. They're just like, Oh I fucked up. Right. You know, that's it. I messed up. Uh you know, I understand like when it's a life or death situation, it's gonna unfortunately bad shit happens. Right. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, people make mistakes, but also really sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. You know what I mean? You, you could go back and check everything you wanted to, you know, you might have to show up an hour early. You know what I mean? Yeah. Problem with that is you didn't know that was going on an hour early, you know? Uh, as far as um, the mental part of it, one thing, reason why I was asking in the military, you know, they do the training, you know, uh, uh, what's a good example? Combat Lifesaver, right? It's kind of one of the basic ones, right? So you go in, they give you all this training, right? And then at the end, they give you this test, right? But what you don't know at the time is you're set up to fail. There's no way you're going to win. You know, everything that's going to go wrong is going to go wrong right then. If it's went wrong before, it's about to happen just then. But you don't know. And a lot of reason they, they, they do that is, is to uh, to see how your, your reaction and failure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just because something's bad here, you can't shut down. There's still other shit going on. You know what I mean? That's kind of what I was talking about. Do y'all do that when you're when – y'all initially hitting the fire and stuff or when you were setting the pallets on fire? We, we really don't do a whole lot of the, the, the failure 
side of the train, right? It's all, it's, it's primarily a success driven. Um, they may be exhausted into it. They right. may, we may make them come in on, you know, the, the second floor coming down on a basement and put just all kinds of stuff in front of them. Um, but it's really not. I just want to be clear on that. I'm not saying yeah. it's, it's set, it's, it's, it's set up for failure. Cause I think you got to look at, you know, what's a success, right? But if you come up on a body, right? And he's missing his lower half. Yeah. There's only so much you can do, right? Correct. So you got to be able to, you can look at that as a failure or you can, you know, keep going and find the next victim. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we um, do, we do some of the, the triage side of it. Triage. That's the damn yeah. word I was looking for. Thank you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> triage. Um, and, and sometimes that that's hard to take. Yeah. Right. Like understanding that. Um, so we have like on a cardiac event, right. We have a traumatic full arrest and then we have just a, a regular full arrest, right. You pass out, your heart stops. If it's a traumatic full arrest, we roll up on that car accident and that car is completely destroyed and that person sitting in the, in the seat dead. We're, we're not going to work that. That's a traumatic full arrest. There's right. so much that happened to that body. We're probably not going to be able to fix everything that caused that person to not right. be alive anymore. Um, you sit down in your recliner, you get your cup of coffee in the morning, start watching the morning news. Your wife comes in and you're just out. We're working you. Every ounce of our body is in mind and ability is given towards you at that time. Sometimes that's hard to take. Uh, right. We want to, we want to grab that person out of that car and start working. <clears throat> but we got three other injuries over here. We've got somebody else laid out in the field over here. Do we put four to six people on this one and miss something that we could save over here? So doing that risk assessment, doing that triage is sometimes hard to take. Especially when it's your first one. It's like, well, I, I, I spent too much time with this one and I should have spent more yeah. time over here. Yeah. Or I missed these signs, you know, whatever signs and symptoms they're presenting or telling you. It's like, ah, oh, you know, my, my, my head hurts a little bit. All right, we know where you're at. Yeah, I'm in, in, in the city. What's your, you know, what day of the week it is? It's, it's Tuesday. We ask them all those questions and they're fine. Okay, well, come over here and sit you know, by the, the Jersey barrier in between the highway and we'll wait for the ambulance to get here and they're going to check you out again. And then you go back over to them and they're just slumped over dead. I mean, there's, those are, those are ones that are hard to take. <clears throat> what did I miss? What did I not do? And that's when you start kind of beating yourself up. But sometimes, sometimes bad stuff just happens. Man, it's tough, man. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about earlier with mental health. Uh, we talked about, like, kind of pre-leading uh, up to it and, like, during the time. Uh, when And we kind of started off talking about PTSD and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, y'all said y'all got some systems in place and stuff like that. How does that uh, – what's one of the big things you, like, y'all do to combat it? You know I mean? I, I know it's a kind of a tough question because there's always the standard book answer, right? Yeah. Here's what you're supposed to do, right? But uh, I know, like me and Bubba was talking about, you know, sometimes the guys just don't want to talk about it. Think they're going to get over it. And, you know, sometimes it's too late. I shouldn't say that. It's never too late to ask for help. But 
you know, sometimes by the time you're there and it's really an issue, it's really an issue. If you just said something about it or talked about it, you know, uh, to be to begin with, is that kind of an in-house thing with the fire departments or? It, it is. Um, one of the benefits that we have as opposed to the military side, right? It's, it's that, that, that camaraderie, it's that brotherhood. Yeah. Um, you do your, your enlistment, you do your tour, um, you come out of uh, that situation and then you're scattered out, right? I'm sure you've got buddies all over the United States, people that you served with, um, that were your go-to during that deployment. Yeah. And then you come home and you get out, they stay in, they eventually get out. They're in North Dakota, you're in Oklahoma, the other one's in Florida, the other one's doing contract work. Doing like, nerd stuff in New York. Doing nerd stuff in New York, <laughs> right? Um, we have that for basically 20 years. We have that, that, that unit pretty consistent. Guys will retire. For those guys that retire, I've got, I'm real big on having mentors and mentees is having that, that avenue for me to call and just go, man, life sucks. Yeah. Right. But also following, also following that up is I've had some really great mentors in the last 22 years in the fire service. And they've been guys that have, that I served with in the military, that I worked with DOD with as a civilian. Um, guys I worked with the, at the department that I worked for before the, the one I work now. Um, so having that above and below with you in the middle, having that, that person that I can call and just say, man, life sucks. How did you get through this? Right. How did you get through that? You know, and it doesn't necessarily just have to be in the firehouse. It can be relationships, right? It can be relationships with my wife and my kids. Right. But finding that, that mentor. And then on the backside is don't let that chain stop, right? Finding that, that mentee, that, that guy that you just, or, or girl that you just click with, right? Every day you go to work, you're, you're excited of their successes. They're excited about your successes, but they're also there for you and your failures and, or you're there for their failures. So understanding that, that line of being able just to, to communicate department I work for now is 1,050 people. You don't get along with everybody. Not going to. Not going to. Not meant to be that way, my friend. No. Um, finding that system, finding your network of mentor and mentee, finding that 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 light that lightness, right? To be able to call and say, man, this isn't right. I'm not feeling this way. Um, I'm not sleeping. I'm drinking more than I should. Hey, I, I screwed up and Took some gummies, right? Yeah. Which in, in my world is, we, we can't, right? State of Oklahoma, department-wide, we can't, we can't experiment with that avenue of, and, and part of it is, you know, I'm driving a 44,000-pound vehicle down yeah. the highway at 67 miles an hour. Yeah. That's as fast as it'll go. Yeah, I mean, it's driving an influence, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and yeah. not, not everybody's a paramedic, like I'm... I'm gonna say I'm just an EMT, um, but the paramedics push drugs and narcotics and cardiac drugs and, and all right. of that. So their ability to figure out milligrams to kilograms for a one-year-old at one o'clock in the morning, they've got to be able to to make the right call on their their dosages and their 
their system of drugs, when to push them, how much to push them, and you just can't. It's just one of those. As much as I think that there's there's people out there that could benefit from it. One of the things that I've seen, you know, as, as far as being in a leadership position, uh, remembering what it was like to be a private, I feel like a lot of times that the the, the people that had the issues were either new soldiers, right, so it's shell shock or whatever, or the that NCO that's been in a leadership position too long because he feels like, and don't even have to be a senior NCO, just somebody that's been in a leadership position because they feel like they can't ask for help because they don't look weak, you know, they're still right. they're, driving forward trying to get promoted and i would say i would say me personally as an example i kind of think it's where i got hung up at is i just didn't want to ask i didn't want to i was too busy trying to get promoted you know and then in my case i was a staff sergeant promotable when i started my med board and i got promoted to sergeant first class as i was getting out just talk about feeling like a shit bag it's still so everything is a in, in the fire service everything is very slow to change Right. Um, It's generational changes. So those that are on those that that have 30 years on. Right. They didn't they didn't come up through a system where they ever talked about mental health. Even when I started 20 years ago, um, there was not a lot of talk of of mental health. Uh, There weren't the the programs really out there. there weren't the the facilities that we have access to, like right. the IAWF, um, which is our our local union, has a whole rehab um, center in Marlboro, Maryland. That if I have, we'll just say, a suicidal thought today, and I call out for help, I'll be on an airplane to Marlboro, Maryland tomorrow. And that program, however long it takes me to get through it, and it's a no cost to me because I'm a, a union member. Uh, which I think is huge. I've got no, several, several friends from the department that have just not been there the next day. And we're like, "Hey, where's where's Tim?" It's like, "Oh man, he got an airplane headed to the the center up in Maryland." Good for him. Like, yeah, yeah no. un- understanding that it's not that generational change has to support them in that, right? Right. Whether it's a suicidal thought, a drug abuse, alcohol. Um, depression, anxiety, when they come back, it's got to be that support system from us saying, thank you for making that decision. Good job on making that decision. Whatever it is that you're, yeah. you're going through and not just, well, why the hell did you do that? <laughs> you know? Come on, man. You drank every day? Shit, son. That ain't shit. <laughs> yeah. I'm drunk right now. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about mentors a little bit earlier. I'm a real big uh, fan of mentors. One of the I said one of my faults earlier is, is once I got to having you know issues when I got to a higher rank, I stopped talking to my mentors about stuff like that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I would talk to them about soldier problems and you know instead of my problems. But before that though, you know I, I feel like you know all my my NCOs I had coming up to that point, you know I was really pretty open with them. You know what I mean? I even can remember talking to Sergeant Timothy when me and my wife was just thinking about having a baby. You know what I mean? Like what are these programs I need to do? I think you always got to have a mentor, but speaking of mentors, though, did you ha- ever have a mentor when you was coming up in the fire department? It's like, look, dude, you are messing this up. Absolutely. Here's what you need to do. Yeah. And how did that go? Um, the attitude of a mid-20s, 
think you're conquering the world, think yeah. you know everything. It's a very humbling experience. It is. Um, overcoming that, it's always hard to go back to the person that told you that you were screwing this up. Yeah. Right? Like, if it's a true mentor, one, they're going to tell you that you're screwing up. And then two, uh, going back to that person with another problem after they tell you you're screwing up. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, rebounding from that. Because nobody likes to tell. Nobody likes being told that they're screwing up. It's not in our nature. We want to be, hey, good job, pat on the back, all of that. It's not It's not in our nature to be corrected and then go back to that person for advice again. Because you're always scared that... Yeah, especially when you're young and mature yet. You know what I mean? You got to fall sometimes. Right. Um, So the rebound from that, I think, is not only as the the mentor, but the being the mentee has a a place in that also. Of of going back to who you think is is your mentor. If if we hook up and and I'm using this, this guy as my mentor... It's the good, bad, and the ugly. I'm not there just for him to to tell me that I'm doing good or your career path's on the right way or you you you've done well and all this stuff. I I I want him to tell me you're fixing to put this in the can, bro. Right. You're you're fixing to to royally screw this up. I've seen it a hundred times. I've been there. I made those mistakes. Don't do this. Or it's in the can. You're. You get, now you have to crawl out of the can. And if it's a true mentor, as you as the mentee, then he's going to help you get out of that can. Yeah, he's going to educate you and help you out. That's a tough deal, man. Like I, I think some people, I guess the, on the mentee side of it, you know, I, I think some people are just too worried about getting in trouble instead of uh, trying to fix the problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think, I mean, that goes with a lot of shit. I, I mean, honestly, I mean, you can put that scenario with a lot of different scenarios, you know. But sometimes, man, you just got to recognize you, you're, you're wrong, yeah. you know, and ask for help, I guess. Well, I guess I know. Uh, if we go back to the, like, the firehouse culture on the mental house aspect yeah, yeah. of it. Um, so I go to work at my station with, we have 10 people assigned to that station. We have two ops. So we always have eight, right? And I go to work with those same eight people every day that I go to work, right? That's our core unit of eight. Some stations have 12, some stations have four, but we have eight in my station. This is for years too, right? Uh, Normally. Yeah. Normally. Um, Guys will promote and come in and out and um, some guys just want to go experience the south side. It's, you know, I've I've been at my station for uh, almost six years now of the nine years that I've worked for that department. So, um, a couple of those have, have come and gone, but usually it's it's an extended period of, of of time, you know, up to years at a time. So it's not it's not corporate America. I know it's probably person, best for that environment, though. Right? Yes, yeah. I know everybody that I work with. I know their wife's names. I know their kids. I know when their kids were born. So we went to the hospital, we celebrate birthdays. We have, when we work on like father's day, all the wives and kids come up or husband comes up. That's awesome. um, so it's not like corporate America where we walk up to the water jug to, to fill up our, our, our cup and be like, Hey Tim, how's, how's your wife? I don't call you by your wife's name. Cause I don't know your wife's name. Right. 
So we experience a whole lot of things in the firehouse and we're, we're very keen on being able to recognize when somebody's just not right. Right. Cause we see them every day for 24 hours. We start at seven in the morning. We end at seven in the morning. So if they get to the station and it's just not the same guy, right. Or girl. Cause we have right. uh, a female that works with us too. It's yeah. not the same. Um, it's attitude is just not right. He's not as enthusiastic as he has, as he has been. Did he, mow nine yards yesterday and he's just tired because we've all, we've all got day off jobs that we do right or has this been a pattern over the tour that we're in and he hadn't talked about his wife and kids lately or he's you know been talk been talking about his his mom and dad a whole lot well asking about their mom and dad mom and dad are sick or dad's got cancer or mom's you know 90 years old and you know, knocking on the door so we get to experience a whole lot of different things and talk about a lot of different things because we're together for 24 hours. We eat together. We make rides together. We grieve together. We celebrate together. So that really gives us an, an avenue to, to recognize some of those things. Some of them, again, bad stuff happens. Right. right? Sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's like, man, if we'd have just opened up that one door, we'd have, we'd have known that they were, they were behind it in a bad spot. Yeah. Um, but it does give us, it gives us more of an avenue than just sitting in a, in a cubicle working with the same person for 20 years and not ever knowing anything about them. Yeah. It's, um, you're right though. You know, my experiences in, in, you know, in the military dealing with that type of stuff, it was always hindsight 2020, you Mm -hmm. know, you can always say that, but you know, you want to hope that you, you help somebody out before that by asking them questions. Hey, how's home life? You know what I mean? You know, especially, I, I say especially the junior soldiers, but, I mean, the, the older guys need it, too. You know what I mean? Um, but they just talk to different people about it. You yeah. Because, I mean, it's hard to hard to function if your home life's messed up, you know? It is. Like, if you're having a bad home life, it's hard to come to work that day to, like, knowing you got to go back home to deal with whatever, yeah. you know, or, you know, grieving about a parent being lost or something like that. It's, you know, it, that's a good point, though. That is a really good point. And I think... It's kind of something that, you know, we, we always talk about in the military. You know I mean? You're soldiers. That's your job to take care of them. They eat first, you know, and all that, that stuff. You know, you take care of your soldiers. But I hadn't really heard it in the civilian world a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And and that could be a couple of different reasons. You know, I went from, you know, working at a chicken plant to join the military, you know, at a relatively young age. But I know we didn't talk about none of that shit at Tyson's when I was growing <laughs> up. Right. You know, we just ready to get the hell out of that place. But I just don't hear about it a lot, you know, mm-hmm. of, of treating treating the people that work with you. Like your kids, I guess, you know, or brother or sister, right. you know. Speaking of sisters, getting older and being humbled, I've had the opportunity to serve with some women that were just total badasses. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I used to have an NCO, uh, uh, Sergeant David. She was a badass, dude. She was just a physical beast. And uh, so there's no doubt in my mind she'd make a good firefighter. It's just one of them things that uh, wasn't on my radar. So when I seen it, I was like, wow, this is interesting. So what is the history with women firefighter? I wish I knew the date of the first female firefighter for the department. I want to say it was like the late 80s. Okay. Um, it, is, it is 100% a male-driven industry. Um, and that's not, it's not due to my fault. As a male, right? It's just an, 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 
a career in industry that is predominantly male. Yes. More it's males want to do it. I more guess. males yeah. want to do it. It's yeah. not at any fault to, like I said, to, to, to me as a male that there's not more females. Um, there are, uh, going back to like the training event, um, Oklahoma City host one and Tulsa host one. And they're strictly a weekend for females to come in, get an introduction to the fire service. And that has been, a, I think, a, a huge education side because there's there's ladies and, and girls that have come to those training events and be like, I'm going to give everything I can to get on the fire department now. Oh, yeah. And then there's some that are like, man, maybe this isn't just for me. Right. right? I, I would rather it be that avenue than for you to get on the fire department. I guarantee and then this a year guy, later be like, I think I'm going to go back to to doing whatever you're doing before. There's there's guys that do that same shit. I mm-hmm. guarantee you. Show up, want to be firefighters? Hold up, hold up, man, hold up. Yeah, I don't need to do this. Yeah, and just about every recruit class that we've had over the last nine years that I've been there, um, there's been one onesies and twosies. They make it through that first week and they're done. Right, they just walk away. It's a eight month process to get hired at the fire department. Oh, wow. Yeah. By the time you do your physical test, your written test, um, your polygraph, your interview, your pension physical, your deputy chief's interview, and then you get your your, con- your conditional job offer and start the academy. It's about an eight-month process. Why do you got to do a polygraph? It's just what they've always done. Like they like a legit polygraph, like or? a legit polygraph for the guy that works for the FBI for thirty years, and now he does polygraphs on the on the so side. So I've been in certain units that you had to take a, a psych test, right? Mm-hmm. But it's it's just a bunch of random questions, you know. Right. Do you like flowers? Do you like pink flowers? Then down the road, why do you like flowers? <laughs> right. I never said I like flowers. I'm asking <laughs> this shit, you know. Uh, so there's something to it, but I, I just I think in them scenarios, they was trying to decide what type of personality was type a type b i think right. it was the, the you know the gist of that but a polygraph test would be a firefighter mm-hmm. just to i guess to make sure you you you, you don't start lie. fires yeah just make sure that you're not gonna lie about something and in the polygraph is i don't know i didn't i didn't have anything to hide right right you know what i mean and you can pass the polygraph and not get hired well in that polygraph they tell you to be honest about everything Right. Everything that we talk about on the sheets and that's from your relationship with your families to your usage experiment or selling of drugs um, to what you have done or not done at your previous employers. You can be truthful about that. Some of that stuff or all of that stuff. And then something pops out that says you were truthful in what you said, but that's still not right. 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 I can tell you that, you know, not personally, but I can tell you that I've stolen from my employer. I was truthful with you and I passed this polygraph. But the fact that I stole from my employer means I don't want you to be a fireman. I don't want you stealing stuff off the truck. I don't want you stealing stuff out of the med bag. I don't want you stealing hand tools and taking them to the pawn shop. Right. So just because you passed the polygraph doesn't doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make a good I mean, they ain't looking for something like when he was like 16, though, right? Like, you stole from Love's when he was working there when he was 16. No. So, yeah, I got you. Be- being truthful about it is, right, right. is one thing. Just integrity check at that point. Right. Yeah, I got you. Back to the the women firefighters, mm-hmm. right? So, 
what brought that up is when I was looking into it, I, I was looking at a like different, like I was starting just digging into firefighters, right? And mm-hmm. I seen like firefighter events is what I seen, like games or something like that. Uh-huh. But uh, there, I seen a lot of females doing that, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's what kind of brought that up. But as far as the firefighter games, though, is that common stuff? Um, yeah, with the the influx of um, physical fitness and like the CrossFit Games. So the CrossFit Games actually has a whole emergency responder division now. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, one of the, the the females that I went through recruit school has been out to California. Katie's a badass. Everything Katie does is is awesome. Katie. Sondag. Honestly, that might have been one of the ladies I've seen. Yeah. Today. Um, just a, a phenomenal athlete, a phenomenal person, phenomenal wife, phenomenal mom. Like everything that, that Katie embodies is just, I think, very, very highly of her. Um, and she's been out to to do the, the CrossFit games. She's on the, we have an all-female rowing team that just, just won down at the, the river sport there. Two nights ago, I think it was, and they beat everybody. So they have like a corporate team and the fire department falls under the corporate team and they won the women's division and they won the overall. So they beat combination teams with males and females, all female and all male. They're just, they're awesome. So the CrossFit games, and then there's also the world police and fire games. The world police and fire games is the second largest sporting event behind the summer Olympics. And it's truly a worldwide event happens every two years um several years ago it was in new york and then it was in i think ireland or scotland um it's been in mexico it's it's truly a worldwide event um again it's the second largest sporting event around the, the summer olympics and you can do everything in that you can I had a buddy from from midwest city that went to the world police and fire games in bold in bold yeah <laughs> Yeah. So, so they're, they're not skill based like uh, for your job skill. They they do have those events, right? Okay. They have the, the ultimate firefighter, and it's a bunch of physical events. It's uh, um, it's kind of like the, the the Murphy event for the CrossFit yeah. World, right? You run a mile, you do yeah. so many push ups, sit ups, and you run a mile. So they'll have a, a running event, and then it'll pull hose, and then it's breaching a wall, and then it's dragging a dummy, and then it's reaching a door and then it's another running event right all all in gear doing all of this stuff so some of them are geared towards a, a, an emergency type scenario um so those are things that and some of them use that as their outlet i mean we can always ret- re- tie this back on the mental health aspect of it because yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big proponent um my wife asked me, my wife is actually a, a middle school counselor, so she has her master's in, in counseling. And she asked me what, you know, why do you work out? It's cheaper than a therapist. Right. That is my, that's my decompression time. That's my time to put my headphones in, cancel out the world, and just get after it for an hour. Whatever that is, right? Whether I'm on the elliptical doing that or lifting or doing a walk around the neighborhood. Right. That's my time to just decompress and do what I like to do. That is my my like. And I know some people don't like to do that. I like to to build things. They like to cut grass. You know, I, I mow on on my days off now and I've got a couple of yards and I come home just filthy, dirty, nasty, hose myself with the hoe, you know, off in the in the backyard and then cook dinner. 
She's like, I don't know how you do this. I like that you said that about cutting grass. That's kind of one of my go-tos mm-hmm. to decompress. The problem I'm running into now is my son's 12 and he wants to mow. Mm-hmm. I got to ride a lawnmower. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, it's kind of <clears throat> kind of cutting into my me time. Uh, right. I was like, all right, buddy. You need to do it. I, I got you. Uh, yeah. So, so my wife and I talked about the, the cutting grass thing and she came to me, I don't know, a week later and she's like, I figured it out. Of course, she's always, she's a counselor. She fixes people problems, right? She tries to, to work through things by talking to people. And she said, I figured it out. I figured out why you like cutting grass so much. I was like, enlighten me why I like <laughs> to cut grass, right? And she's like, it's an instant gratification. Mm. You, you walk up to these people's house and their yard looks like crap, basically. And you come in, you cut the grass, you make it look good, and you drive away. She said, in your career field, I pick up grandma in the middle of the night. We take her to the hospital. I never find out what happened to grandma after I drop her off at the hospital. I don't. We pull a kid out of a, out of a car and send him to children's on the ambulance. Very rarely do we ever figure out what happened to that kid. Mm. So we don't ever get that closure. Right. Right. We were a huge impact in that person's life for 30 minutes. They're a huge impact on our life for 30 minutes. And then I never find out what happened to them. I was going to wait till the very end to bring this up. Uh, but kind of right there while I was the same subject, um, you know, as a person that's been doing this for a while, um, well, that that one hard time that you had, where mm-hmm. shit, where stuff didn't go the way you wanted to. Uh, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it or nothing, so I don't put you in a rough spot. But, no, you're good. Uh, but you know the the situation, you know, and, and most importantly, you know how you deal with it. Uh, you know, uh, you know how how you deal with it. You know what advice you would give yourself again if you could. Okay, so the incident that I was, there's there really two incidents. One was very early. Um, I was 27. And then the other one was, gosh, I was probably 30, 35, 36. Um, the one early really broke me down. So do you remember baby Jessica, the little girl that fell in the well years and years ago? Like honestly, the 90s, early 90s. Honestly, I think I do remember that. But. Right. The little kid fell in the well in the backyard and the images that all came over the news and you can still research it today or these big pieces of heavy machinery in this backyard and the big lights and, and all of that. Um, we had a very similar incident to that. Dad was working on a Sunday. He was a uh, concrete worker tying rebar. They'd used a whole bunch of backfill dirt in a residential area. So they had to drill these really deep pier holes. And he was tying rebar on a Saturday to make an extra money or on a Sunday to make extra money. Had his daughter out there, two-year-old. It's a one-foot pier hole that's 12 foot deep. She was walking along and ended up at the bottom of it. Damn. I had a two-year-old at home at the time. Yeah. Luckily, it all worked out by whatever divine intervention that you believe in. Um, one of the other experienced station officers got a rope and a pike pole, got mom over there. Mom's freaking out, rightfully so. Yeah. And 
she got to talking to him. The major got to talking to him. He started with a, basically a loop on the end of a rope in that pike pole and just started working her way around. And mom said, put it on like you do your purse because the little girl would put her purse across her body. So she was able to get one arm up and they got it down around her body. And the major said, gave it good, good three tugs on it. He said, we're shooting it. And he just, poof, and out of the hole she came. So we were setting up to do, like, we were going to, we had the heavy equipment on standby. We were going to start digging out a way, stepping down, and then tunnel over to her. And it was just a couple of tugs, and he said, I'm shooting it. Boop. Right out of the hole she came. She physically, I mean, I know, I mean, it's a 12 foot drop. Dirt. You know? A little dirt. I'm sure she bounced. Yeah, all so, the way down. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it's only a one foot pier roll, but for a two, a two year old to fit in a. If you're going to fall 12, 12 feet, I guess that's the way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but to look down in that hole and all you see are these two little eyes. Yeah. Looking that's, back up That's at a you. tough one, man, you know, because. And everything came out great. Yeah. But I went back to the station and called my wife and just. It all came out. Right. Um, and that's, and that's, that's my benefit, right? I have that wife that, that I can be that outlet. Um, we've also had the conversation flip side of that, the where I've walked in the house and be like, I don't need a counselor. I need my wife. Right. And she has that, that switch, right? right. She knows when something's bothering me and she can start that, that counselor out. And she also knows when I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to talk about it. I don't, I protect my family, right? There's certain things we talk about. There's the fun things that we talk about. You know, my boys, I come home from the station, my boys like, hey, you fight any fires yesterday? Yeah, a couple. You know, working in car wrecks, any semis? <laughs> yeah, I show them pictures, you know, semis turn on the side and stuff. Uh, but we don't talk about the, the bad stuff. The, yeah, we don't, we don't talk about the guy we found in the, the bathtub. Yeah, we don't talk about the guy that we had to cut out of the semi for the ME, right? We don't we don't have to talk about those things. I don't have to expose them to those things. Yeah. Um, the other incident, um, again on on the first one, um, I was new to that crew. I was new to that to that department at the time, and I really relied on my wife. Right. That was that was my outlet for that. For that. What I was going to say about it is I think. Uh, you said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I got a wife that I can express myself to. Mm-hmm. I think, unfortunately, for for a lot of dudes, uh, is uh, they do have that wife, but they just want to be tough all the time mm-hmm. and not not let loose. You know, I think I think that's an ability in itself is being able to open up. Like I was, I was saying earlier, like in my when I was younger in my military career, I was really, it was easy for me to open up. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, uh, I would rather you know, talk about it then till it was too late or whatever. Uh, just get, get advice, you know? Uh, but at home, I mean, it wasn't always like that. You know, I just wanted to be tough. I had nothing going to phase me. Be right. caveman, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah. no, I mean, I think it's, I think it's an ability in itself and to, to recognize that and be able to open up. So. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the second incident was at Lake Arcadia and, we got sent. I was working for the the technical. I was working at the technical rescue station at the time, um, and we got sent to the Lake Arcadia on a car in the water, and it ended up being a sixteen year old kid who had 
gone to practice in the morning, ran back home to take a shower, and was going to be late for school. Um, was on one of the the bridges on the dam of the Lake Arcadia, took it too fast, rolled over, and ended up in the water. Um, he was he he had passed by the time we got there, um, but just having to pull him out, right? Put him in the in the body bag and and, and bring him up um, for the ME to get there. The kicker to that one is we were setting up to do all of that. Um, and it's a very dignified process, right? This is, this is somebody's kid. We're going right. to do right by them. Um, station officer gets a call on the cell phone. This is little brother shows me with him. Oh, we've, we've been standing around for 45 minutes. Figuring out our game plan, doing how we're going to get, you know, the, the the sixteen year old out. Little brother's supposed to be with him. Ah, fuck. So we go from this is a recovery to we have to find where this kid's at. Is he still in the water? Is he sitting on the bank? Is he walking down the road? Did he leave? Is he still in the car? Um. So we start doing what we do with our triangulation and guys are going to start suiting up to, to dive and get in the water and, and look for him and <clears throat> come to find out that wasn't the right. He had dropped a little brother off oh, at, the, at the elementary school before he went home. Thank God. So the emotional roller coaster yeah. there was just, holy crap, man. You just, biggest wrench that you could throw you through because again we, we had we had triaged it right we had yeah. we had we had decided that there's there's nothing medically that we can do for this for this guy right now it's just that that dignified transfer if you want to call it that to to get him to the emmy's office and then ultimately to back to his family um but when that's thrown into it again that adrenaline dump just takes over and we go right back to work, right? What what resources do we have? Do we need to get the helicopter in the air and start searching for this kid? Like a whole lot of systems start coming back into play whenever you think, okay, we can slow down. We can do everything that we can to, to do right. And now we back into it. That one, it took me a while to, to work through that one. At the time, my oldest was like 10. So I really didn't have that connection right. between when the little girl fell in the hole. I had a two year old. Now. That was my direct connection. That's my kid looking up through the hole at me. So I didn't really have that, that connection because my kids and, and that kid were not really close to the same age in my mind. They weren't. Um, but every time I'd see a classic Mustang go down the highway, I think about it. Right. Every time I'm checking the rig and checking the bag that has the, the body bags in, I think about that kid. Because that's the first time I ever had to use one. Like, float him out of the car, put him in the bag, get him up the bank. Like, little things. A rocky bank on a bridge going over the lake. I think about that kid. So, that, that has taken me some time to, to work through. And that one has really been 
just us talking about incidents at the station, right? That core group, the core group that, that I work with now, none of them were on that incident, but we talk about it. We talk about the other ones that, that they've been a part of and just the ability to talk about it. I, I think honestly, from, from my point of view, I think that's the best thing because not only is it helping you out, you know, by getting some of that off your chest, just, just, recognizing it but it's also helping them out too because sure you know they because like we said earlier you know talking about you know that that mentee aspect feeling mm-hmm. ashamed because you're feeling weak or whatever uh just got people got to get over that man yeah. and i know it's tough I, it is there's still shit i don't want to talk about you know right. what i mean uh i don't know man. it's tough man but at the, at the beginning when you was talking about uh the mail building blowing up he was choking up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I started talking, so I was trying to give you a break. Uh, but as I was talking, I about started choking up too. <laughs> it's the it's the weirdest. I mean, you don't. I don't like we said earlier. A lot of stuff's hindsight twenty twenty, right? right? So when you look back on it, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people look back on it real quick. You know, they they do the the after action report immediately. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, just immediately they get it done. That's what we should have did. That's what we did right. Should have did this better. So on and so forth. But I think there's a follow up to that too. Is and that's the mental aspect because you know that's that's the most trickiest part. I think. Right. Because you can do shit right and still be upset about it. You know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, mentally be distraught. Well, right. you know, if I'd have been there closer, you know, this would have been different. You know. Uh, yeah. and, and understanding that just because it didn't affect me. Um, we've been on some, some pretty gnarly, um, murder scenes, suicides, and we go down and cut somebody down and hung themselves on a saving fan. Yeah. It, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me, but it might affect Joe yeah. or Tim. And those are just arbitrary names. Um, well, I mean, if you've never seen a dead body before, right? So your first dead body is going to be uh, that's going to be a, that's going to be a staple in your life. Absolutely. And, and how you take that is going to is going to define how you take the next time you see it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So what you're talking about, open communication within your people. I mean, that's I think that's that's instrumental, dude. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just recon. I, I think recognizing it is, is is a big deal too. A lot of people are like, oh, toughen up, boy. <laughs> right. That wasn't even that bad back in my day when this shit went down, you know. I want to talk, uh, you know, a little bit about your profession, the stuff the stuff you see. You know, I know a lot of stuff you don't want to see, but that's still your job. You right. chose that life, right? Uh, how does this translate into uh, raising your kids? Um, just so the one of the big things, especially with, with my, my 14 year old right now is the, the diversity of the world. Yeah. Right. We may not agree with somebody's way of life, but that doesn't make them a bad person. Right. Right. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to express your opinion about everything. Right. I work in a very diverse area of the city. Um, we have multiple nationalities, orientations, ethnicities. 
They just need my help. Yeah. Right. It doesn't matter if you're a, from you know, a Vietnamese background or an African American background or, you know, um, a different orientation or whatever you want to, whatever it is out there in the world. Um, just you be you. Right. You don't have to conform to, to one of these that are out there that I see um, or that we interact with. Um, I never really did get into the coaching thing um, as far as coaching organized sports with a bunch of them. Um, of course, I try to help both of them, in the sports that they're involved. Um, but I've never really gotten into the, the coaching thing. Part of that is due to my schedule. Right. Um, being gone 10 nights a month. Um, we live a third of our life at the fire station. It's, it's, it's hard to say, Hey, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be it's the impossible little league head coach of, yeah. of football or whatever. It's just not, not something that I'm afforded the opportunity. And think, again, that's the life that I chose. It's not, I think coaching and being a parent is pretty similar. Sure. There's a lot of aspects. It's, you know, and, you know, parenting, you're just coaching your own kids and, and not just your own kids, but, a lot of times you're teaching them how to deal with other kids too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I think it's I think it's a very interesting point to, like you said earlier, the people that you improve, it don't matter who they are. They just need your help, right? Um, I think it's I think it's really important for for people to understand in all aspects. You know what I mean? Because like, you know, I mean like bullies and stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, mistakes. You know, my kids make mistakes. How do I talk to them about it? Do I use some real world shit or do I just talk to them easy because he's a 12 year old? Yeah. I'd be like, that is some weak ass shit, boy. You need to tell me the hell up. I can't do that now because then I'm just creating another cycle. That's kind of the, the, the angle I was looking for on that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think, unfortunately, with guys, I think our mental health stuff, I think it's just, it's just from generations of guys just toughening up and not saying anything. Yeah. You know, I think, it, I think it's where it comes from. But I'm no doctor. I don't know. Yeah. Your wife knows, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and realizing, because from where I grew up in Dell City. Um, Are you from Dell City? Yeah. That's the first question I was going to ask you, but we got into it, so I decided to skip it. Yeah. Dell City, okay. Yeah. So I grew up in Dell City. Um, lived there up until my wife and I got married when I was 20. I guess I was 23. We got married in January of High school sweethearts? Or? We were not high school sweethearts. We were set up on a blind date and didn't know it. Oh, really? Yeah. Were you friends? So, or what? Yeah. One of the guys I deployed with, we were about two weeks, two and a half weeks home from Uzbekistan. Um, when I left for Uzbekistan, I was engaged. Uh, about three weeks later, I was no longer engaged. Oh, wow. So during Vietnam and, and World War II, it was the the uh, Dear John letter. Yep. Right. Everybody talks about the, the Dear John letter. Yeah. Um, I got mine in an email. Yeah, so, a tough one. So I dubbed it the Dear Dick email. My first name's Richard, so I yeah. the, the Dear Dick email. Um, I was no longer engaged. And I was going to so, bring that up earlier, but I figured you heard that enough in your life. Yeah. <laughs> What's up, Dick? Yeah. Um, I was named after my grandfather, and he was always Dick, so I was just always, uh-huh. always Richard. Um, so when I came home, I had zero intentions of, of being in a relationship. Zero. Didn't want anything to do with with being in a relationship, and 
my buddy that I employed with called me. It was a crap town with my uncle who was in from D.C. And said, uh, hey, you know, what are you doing tonight? It was already kind of late. And I was like, man, I'm just going to head back to the house. And he's like, come out with us. I was like, ah, man, it's already kind of late. I'm just going to head back to the house. And he said, we're sitting up at Remington Park in some senator suite drinking free beer. And I said, I'll be there in about 30 minutes. Because <laughs> he knew if he told me, he's like, hey, man, I got this girl I want you to meet. And I was like, oh, you can go fly a kite, dude. I'm out. I got time with these motherfuckers. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. No, I don't. I don't want to meet anybody that is in our friends group or your friends group because one, I don't want to piss off the friend group because I still want to go hang out in the lake, right? I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to get involved with anybody right now, in or out of the friend group circle. And so we showed up. Here comes Kevin with Melanie. He's like, "Hey, I'd like you to meet Melanie," and it's just one of those. Gotcha. That's why you invited me out. We've been together ever since. 